Just a heads up before we start the show, usually we are listed as safe for work, but considering the movie we are watching this episode, there are bound to be a few swears bandied about. So if you have a real jerk face for a boss or small impressionable children around, maybe put in some earbuds this week. That is, unless you want your kids to grow up to be cool like us. In which case, let them listen so they can pick up all the real awesome curse words that will serve them well as teenagers. Our executive producer, Adam Gabeski, recommended that this week we watch King Kong, the 1970s version, starring, oddly enough, Jeff Bridges. But instead, we decided to watch the classic, The Big Lebowski. Welcome to Cinematic Respect, the show where we make the world a better place, one friend at a time, by making them watch the best movies in the world. Hey, Jessica, how's it going? It's fantastic. You want to know why? <laughs> why is that? Because I am sipping a fabulously made white Russian. Oh, what an interesting coincidence. So am I. Oh, <laughs> cheers. Oh, that's, cheers. Cheers, buddy. <laughs> Which I would like to point out, too, that uh, in honor of the theme of today's episode, you brought over the Kahlua. <laughs> and some vodka and some half and half, which you went at great lengths to find. I did. I went to three stores to get this half and half. It was it was quite taxing. And uh, I had done that early in the day also. <laughs> <laughs> so we are set. <laughs> we, we, have, we have got white Russian supplies for us and the entire neighborhood. So come on over. We'll make Ho- you one. Yeah. Hopefully by the end of the recording, we'll still be... Uh, lucid? Lucid. Yep. <laughs> or maybe if we weren't, that would be uh, good with the theme of today's episode of which is the 1998 movie the big lebowski everyone's favorite Woo-hoo! i'm glad <laughs> we got to this i'm elated it's so good it was yeah. so much fun to rewatch it yeah it's, it's one of my i didn't think i listed it as one of my top five favorite movies but i could have you could have and joining us today to discuss this movie is someone who has never seen it before our good friend jessica hi everybody thanks for being on the show is there any particular reason you missed out on this to this point yes there is a very good reason because the only things that i knew about this movie were that it had somebody named the dude and that white russians were involved and so i've heard from a lot of people that i would really like this movie and so i wanted to watch it but the opportunity has come up several times and every time we don't have all three ingredients for a white russian and so i really wanted to (laughs) drink white Russians while I watched it. And then because of this podcast, I found it on the list. I bought the ingredients specifically for white Russians. And then I sat down and watched it. And I'm very glad I did. <laughs> Fantastic. You felt like it uh, aided your watching of the movie? Well, drinking white Russian? I'm not sure because we did drink a lot of white Russians. So it <laughs> aided and then perhaps m- made everything get a little worse. But I did take some notes. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. I think we've all been in that situation at one time or other. It seems to be pretty ubiquitous, Mm -hmm. people going to buy White Russians before watching this movie. Absolutely. In fact, I remember once there was a, specifically, it was a Big Lebowski party where we put on the movie and everyone was having White Russians. I remember at the end of that night, it was kind of, uh, you know, the scene, uh, I think towards the back half where the dude gets drugged Mm -hmm. and there's randomly running down the street mm-hmm. with a cop chasing behind them. Yes. That's kind of how I felt <laughs> at the end of that evening. Uh, when I lived in St. Louis um, for, for a couple of years, there was a, an old theater. It used to be um, a like Freemason meeting house. 
So it was this kind of odd building that they'd converted into a movie theater. And on Saturday nights, like midnight showings, they would, um, like, I don't know, every few months do a midnight showing of The Big Lebowski instead of White Russians. And uh, as a resident, I never really had had the time to do it, but I always wanted to. It just seemed like such a great idea. And I feel like that's something that does happen with this movie. Like it's frequently, you know, thrown in in drive-ins or thrown in 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 theaters that do, you know, periodically show older older movies. Was it? I think it might be The Majestic that mm-hmm. does it every year. So yeah. in Madison, you definitely have the opportunity to go and see this movie with other like-minded people who will dress up <laughs> and drink white Russians as well. Exactly. If you can find a pair of jellies. <laughs> but I thought it was actually kind of nice this time to sit down and watch. I didn't actually, it might be sacrilege, but I didn't actually have a white Russian with me last night when I watched this. I sat down and watched intently and wrote notes. Yeah, I didn't have one when I watched it last night either, I will admit. But I did bring, you know, fixings today so that we could drink a bath <laughs> talking about That's it. That's the most important exactly. thing. Uh, so for those of you out there who haven't seen the movie and really should, uh, Jess is going to give us a quick plot synopsis. Sure, sure. So the uh, movie takes place in Los Angeles. The central figure is the dude played by uh, Jeff Bridges. So the, the idea is that he's kind of our unlikely hero, though I think hero is a little bit of a strong, strong term. He's our unlikely detective, so to speak, who kind of uh, ends up in the middle of, of a very messy situation with a lot of different players and kind of stumbles through it, but does end up kind of figuring out the whole story. Yep, he gets his rug stolen and he does not get that rug back. Spoiler alert. <laughs> well, it's not just that it gets stolen. His rug gets, gets you know, destroyed. Let's, let's put it Oh, you're right. Kindly. You're right. The first rug the gets first destroyed. Rug, first rug gets destroyed. And that is just, it's just unacceptable. This, uh, the aggression. <laughs> what did he say? This aggression, aggression will not stand. Exactly. <laughs> this aggression will not stand, man. And so he goes and he manages to get himself another rug. And then that one gets stolen. And it's just again and again. And, and a lot of, uh, a lot of things actually, quite a bit. He, he tolerates quite a few things that happen to him, but does get to the, get to the bottom of the mystery there. So Jeff Bridges plays Jeffrey Lebowski, a.k.a. the dude, who is one of the most prominent movie characters that you can talk with someone about, I guess. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just for people who've seen this movie, they know exactly who you're talking about. It's a very strong, very well-defined, well-defined character. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, where did the dude even get his name? Right. I mean, the dude and it tells you right in the beginning, like at the introduction, while the while the narrator is still talking, he says that the dude is a name he's given himself. Oh, really? Yeah. He, I missed that. Part, I wrote actually. it down because I found it fascinating because I guess I had always assumed from his demeanor that his friends or people that knew him would have kind of given him this this name. But no, no, it says at the beginning that he, it's a name he's given himself. <laughs> so uh, here's a clip where uh, Jeff Bridges describes different things that he will allow other people to call him. <laughs> I'm just uh... You're just looking for a handout like every other are you employed, Mr. Lebowski? Oh, wait, wait, let me let me explain something to you. Um, I am not Mr. Lebowski. You're Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude. So that's what you call me, you know? Uh, that or uh, his dudeness or uh, duder or, uh, you know, El Duderino, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. Uh, Are you employed, sir? Employed? <laughs> You don't go out looking for a job dressed like that, do you? On a weekday? Is this a... What day is this? 
<laughs> actually, I'm having. Tr- I actually had trouble deciding where to stop clips too because they kept keep saying funny things after <laughs> like the actual meat of the uh, conversation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I loved that too because with the rehashing of all the things, like he includes Duder, which I immediately associate with our with our common friend Ted, who always is like, "What's going on, Duder?" <laughs> and so I don't think I've ever heard anybody else use that, and I just had kind of forgotten that he that he includes that in his list of. Uh, appropriate names and he ends up having the same name as a millionaire Mm -hmm. whoops uh hence the destruction of the rug initially at the beginning of the movie exactly he gets a little little mistaken identity the the movie starts and you get a weird shot of the usa's in kuwait and so you're not sure what to make of that and then immediately these thugs are shoving the dude's head in a toilet and his response is do I look like I'm a millionaire? Do I look like I'm married? And and you're like, yeah, okay. All right, this is how this, this movie's going to go. Like, <laughs> well, and what I'd like, too, is that he didn't even have any plans himself to do anything about the rug. It's really Walter talking him into it. Oh, that's true. It, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Walter really riles him up. Yeah. And is like, dude, I mean, you had a rug. It tied the room together, did it not? <laughs> <laughs> So Walter is played by John Goodman, and I'd say it's his most iconic role outside Roseanne, maybe. Yeah, it's but, it's impressive. Yeah, it's he's a delight to watch the entire time. He's a, Every single line he says is hilarious for one reason or another. And the facial expressions. Yeah. He's just a very aggressive uh, Vietnam vet who I think feels the world is crumbling around him and has very specific thoughts about the way that respect should be paid to him mm-hmm. and other people and... He lives in a very black and white defined world. He does. And he is almost universally right in his mind. Mm -hmm. And he does not abide. And it's not even a legal mindset for the most part. Uh, The millionaire's trophy wife, in quotes, parlance of our times. Played by by Tara Reid. Played by Tara Reid, who we haven't seen in a long time. And seriously, she just... Tara Reid makes me feel like I need to brush my teeth, but for my soul. Like, she just seems <laughs> But I think this dirty. was before Tara Reid went downhill. She yes. is pr- intentionally playing Tara Reid dirty mm-hmm. in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's harder to tell these days, but you're right. You're Give her the benefit right. of the doubt back then. But she gets kidnapped, in quotes again. So uh, the dude and Walter are tasked at making a drop off of the money. Yes. Um, yeah. For for her ransom. Walter decides that uh, they should, instead of actually dropping off the money, steal the money and drop off a ringer instead. Yes. Which is one of my favorite lines, actually, that he's like, what's what's in the bag? And he's like, it's the ringer, dude. It's the whites. It's my dirty undies. <laughs> and I love that they're undies. It's my dirty undies. Like of all the terms he could use. But he really feels like the dude is entitled to just steal all that money for no particular reason. Eh quickly goes from like the dude to us though the, right the royal we yeah the, the royal we but uh that goes south the handoff does not go as planned i busted out laughing when i forgot that walter had that uzi, uzi. or whatever yeah <laughs> i was like well because they had shown a gun earlier when he's like market zero yeah and then he pulls out a gun i was like i wasn't expecting that yeah. <laughs> and it's loaded and he you know loads the chamber and like it's holding it to the guy's head, you know, in, in a bowling alley, you know. So he has a very different sense of what's right and wrong. And he will use violence to make sure that his worldview is, uh, is upheld. Is upheld. Yeah. There's multiple times he does that. He does that, you know, with the handoff. He does that with Smokey when he says market zero. And then later at the very end of the movie when he's fighting against the nihilists. Again, 
throws a bowling ball at somebody's stomach yeah and then bites off someone's ear bites off off bites off the guy's ear it's not just like oh i bit his ear it's like no no no. i removed this person's ear with my teeth he's he's very aggressive and i I did love in that last scene though like donnie is another character is you know very nervous and he's like you know should should i be afraid like or you know is this these guys bad and he's like no no no, they're nihilist donnie you have nothing to be afraid of So I guess, what was your impression of John Goodman? Is that really a role that you've come to expect from him or not? No, it was it was a complete curveball for me and I loved it. I don't know, there's just so many things that you're just not expecting, like that he was angry that they put a game on Saturday and you're like... <laughs> And the dude is like, you're fucking Roman Catholic, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's converted Mm -hmm. to Judaism because of his ex-wife. Whose dog we see at the bowling alley. And we've discussed earlier is, in fact, not Not a Pomeranian. Pomeranian. So he's decided to draw the line as far as his religion. Like, I converted to this religion. Therefore, I need to continue doing this no matter what the reason was I initially did it. Exactly. Or the fact that I'm divorced from my ex-wife. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is, when he commits to things, he's very, very committed. I mean, obviously, he, he can't get over Vietnam. He's clearly not completely over his, his ex-wife. All right. You know, he's he takes care of the dog. He cares about these things and uh, hasn't given up his, his, his faith change. And then also, even with the dude, they, they have an interesting relationship. He sticks with him. He's always available. He's always in the mix and right. pushing for whatever is quote unquote the best or what he thinks at least is the best out of out of any given scenario yeah so he's a very loyal character too yes. as you pointed out it's it's kind of nice to have him around i yeah. guess if he's going to be around <laughs> you better be in your corner yeah no he is he's so aggressive though and, and john goodman does such an amazing job i mean this character i mean just everything about him he's still got the, the you know kind of the military style haircut he does have facial hair but um you know it's kind of meticulously groomed he's got these yellow aviators he's wearing at all times he's got the the jacket kind of the the flak jacket kind of thing whatever with all the pockets whatever and shorts you know and it's just <laughs> with like combat boot type you know whatever footwear and he's just always aggressive in the facial expressions and the way that he there's one of my favorite moments near the end of the movie he takes his glasses off to like read something and he takes them off in the most like awkward cumbersome manner like ever where he like reaches across and like pulls it kind of half off of one ear so it's still dangling from one like down (laughs) under his chin and it's just all of his movements and his indignant facial expressions and just he's he plays it really well but it's it's nice to have that contrast with the dude, right? You really need that other character where it's just almost polar opposite. The dude, I love the opening sequence. He's in the grocery store. He is wearing shorts, a like dirty V-neck t-shirt, uh, flip-flops, and then a robe while he's picking up half and half, which throughout the film, as you see him make him make white Russians again and again and again, like the one container of half and half, at least in his apartment, is like used until it runs out. Like you have the one right. container like through the whole thing. And when he's in the store, he opens it up and smells it and then drinks some of it. Like, it's <laughs> he's got, he's yes. got the mustache, it's on his mustache when he's going through the, <laughs> the right. like, all right, this is, with, I mean, this without is the a, character yeah. that I've been building up so much. <laughs> yeah. Without a I'm word, you know exactly who he is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In the first like two or three minutes of the movie. Um, But yeah, it is such a contrast with Walter. He's very zen for the most part. I think he's very passive. I think the things that happen to him over the course of the movie cause him to be angrier than he would normally have been at any time in his life. I can imagine him going through weeks and weeks and months without really getting 
to this level of of agitation agitation but even even when he does have like peaks of agitation it almost always followed by like oh fuck it yeah a scene of him (laughs) listening to whale sounds or Mm -hmm. you know lighting up or something and the whale sounds was one of my favorites too (laughs) i'm like i like that you have whale sounds on cassette like that's just amazing so anybody else in these situations would have just been completely overwhelmed or scared scared or gone to the police but then when they like throw him into the limo and he's they're about to show him the toe or whatever like his response is watch it there's a fucking beverage here (laughs) (laughs) new new shit has come to light yeah i mean and if you watch that too watch him get thrown into the limo and him like really carefully trying to balance his drink so that it doesn't spill yes like he falls over sideways and his drink is kind of up in the air I just, yeah, the whole the whole sequence is really good. Digging into the plot a little bit more, because there's a lot of characters at play. Sure. Like, there's a lot going on. All right, on. so let's let's do a very quick rundown of all the different players here. We've got the Nihilists. We've got the Nihilists. Who show up early, yes. Well, you have the very first two guys who show up who mistake him for the wealthy Lebowski right. that we mentioned earlier. And they're the ones who ruin his rug. The one right. guy, you know, pees on his rug, which tied the room together. <laughs> Did and it not. So they work for Jackie Treehorn. Yes. Who is a porn... Magnet, producer or porn producer yes um who produced a film that starred starred in quotes <laughs> starred in quotes bunny, bunny who is the big lebowski's wife so the, the actual title of the movie refers to not the dude mm-hmm. but the millionaire i didn't know that yeah, See, I'm learning new stuff. It's this actually how he's listed. This is the education of your friends. Cinematic <laughs> respect. That's it's actually listed in the credits, so that's how you know. Oh, Otherwise, okay. they wouldn't necessarily. At know. that point, I'd had quite a few white Russians. By the time the credits are rolling, <laughs> yeah. that's fair. You didn't you didn't need to know that. That's okay. The millionaire who the first two people had mistaken the dude mm-hmm. for. Yeah. There's also the nihilists I who are connected to Bunny. And I guess who stay at the mansion. Yeah, because the one guy, the lead nihilist, if you will, right. he was in the same porn with her. Actually, yes. The same film. Yes. He had a Bunny. really cool porn name, but I forget it now. Carl like, Hungus. Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> Hungus, yes. It was just fantastic. Yeah, he and his other you know, nihilist friends, like they're interested parties. And then there's also two additional guys that do work for Maude, who turns out to be the big Lebowski's daughter. Played by Julianne Moore, and she is amazing as well. She, she is phenomenal. Isn't yeah. she? She's probably my favorite part of yeah. like the the least expected diamond in the rough part of this movie for me. She's when she just, comes in on the yes. zip line naked, I was like, <laughs> "All right, here we go." <laughs> You're on board right then. <laughs> She's just so cold and abrupt, and I don't know. I really like her. Randomly British. Yeah, yeah. No, no particular reason for that. It's probably mm-hmm. an affectation that she's taken on for artistic yeah. reasons oh, right for artistic because, reasons yeah yeah there's the kid the kid who's who's he is connected. Larry, oh, Larry Sellers Larry Sellers like he finds out this from from his homework that's in the car <laughs> yes. like what the fuck is it and then, and then like when that happened and like he goes he gets a tire iron out of the trunk and starts beating up this beautiful red is it a corvette i, I think forget. so something something clearly expensive and he says this is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass and i was like it's coming together i've totally heard that quote so many times <laughs> <laughs> it was like a moment for me so if that all seemed a little bit confusing when we described all those characters. Oh, we haven't even finished, though. Oh. You still got um, the the private eye hired by Bunny's parents <laughs> yes. right. in the little 
blue bug. beat up bug yep. and you're like what the fuck is this like <laughs> so he's and and he thinks the dude is some genius who's playing all of these characters and you're like i don't even know who all the characters are at this point <laughs> yeah who, who there were other there was other interested parties weren't there i would not be surprised if i missed someone I additionally know, have- because that's the point of all of this, right? It's not supposed to be easy to understand. It's no, supposed, it's supposed to, be to be confusing. Convoluted and confusing. And one of the big humorous through lines of the whole thing is that when you go from start to finish, nothing's really happened. Yeah, you get <laughs> right? all the way to the end. And I think it was funny, like watching it this time and and analyzing it, you know, for the purpose of this, like actually taking notes. Like before when I've watched it, I was just kinda, you know, you sit and you just let it, you have some white Russians, you just let it wash over you. Yeah. But watching this time and trying to trying to pay attention to notes, I'm like, wait, wait, wait. At the end, the money never really moves. So we find out one of the biggest reveals or whatever is Maude, played by Julianne Moore, tells the dude that uh, the Big Lebowski himself doesn't really have any money. He himself is not wealthy. He has the appearance of wealth, but doesn't have any. And so he withdraws a million dollars from the foundation in order to be able to pay this ransom for Bunny, but he has no intention of ever of ever actually doing that. He's just drawing the money off for himself. And uh, yeah, then the money never moves. And so all <laughs> of the back and forth and all the different players and where's the money, Lebowski, and like whatever, it's, it's all just in his hands. I mean, I think um, one of the things I really want, wanted to point out or to talk about were the amazing dream sequences. There's two oh, yeah. pretty stellar, surreal um, and kind of like avant-garde, where they really got to play into. I, I I found myself being a little distracted during both of those sequences for whoever got to design the costuming and design kind of what was going to happen in those sequences. That they must have been really fun. One wow. of them when is when he gets beat up, right? Mm-hmm. When Maude is taking her rug back, yes, mm-hmm. uh, or her her late mom's rug, and one of them must have been after that, right? One of them's when uh, Jackie Treehorn drugs him. Oh, that's right. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I did want to mention one thing. I really, really liked the bowling ball. I was like, this is my the first instance of a GoPro, even though it's not. <laughs> and they're like in the bowling ball, being in like one of the finger holes or whatever as it rolls around. Yeah, that was just kind of fascinating, the different shots they had there. Yeah, the, the bowling ball shot or the shot where he's flying underneath all the women's All the women. Or... And they really did a great job. So, I mean, Jeff Bridges has amazing hair. I, I maybe am the only, <laughs> maybe the only person in this room who who's fascinated by this, but he has just beautiful hair. And even though he's like this, like kind of dirty hippie, like whatever, um, I feel like that's like a key thing. Like, and when they're doing those scenes, like they're very, they, they, they stay true with gravity or whatever they have him like kind of rolling over like as he's like shooting through these women's legs or whatever and his hair's like dragging along like the the bowling lane that's underneath <laughs> them and it's just it's so ridiculous he's flying often do you have an idea what the purpose of those scenes was i mean they're fun they're a nice breaking up of all the action that's happening but just kind of fascinating feel, maybe that's his mind i was gonna say asleep. i kind of feel like it gives you a glimpse of what the dude thinks life is yeah and yeah. he's super passive. He's constantly high. The like post-sex pillow talk. She's like, "What do you do?" And he says something like, "Well, you know, go here and there, a bowl, occasional acid flash flashback." <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> yeah, <that> seems about <laughs> right. <laughs> and, he, and he talks about like the stress of the whole situation of dealing with all the stuff that's happened to him. And he's like, "Well, gratefully, I've been self-medicating." Like, <laughs> so like between like the weed and the the constant white Russian consumption, or sometimes he also calls it Caucasian. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's pretty chill. He goes on to talking about being a roadie with Metallica. And those guys suck, or something like that. <laughs> or it's assholes. Just, assholes, that's what it is. It's just hilarious. <laughs> so he's just been kind of drifting 
Yeah, I like when he, I like when he's like, "Well, I was in I was in the music scene for a while," and she's like interested for half a second. She's like, "Oh, really?" And he's like, "Yeah, I was a roadie for Metallica," and she's like, "Oh." While we're talking about that, real quick, if she is so in control, why does she want to have his kid? Like, it doesn't really seem like the genes that she would want her oh, her right. kid to have. I don't know. I so the only thing I did have the same thought. And the only thing I can think is that, you know, she sends him to the doctor to get checked out. And whatever the doctor must have found <laughs> oh. must have been worth her while. All right. right. That was all I could figure. Because I'm like, why do you want this guy? When they mentioned the doctor, I was like, just assuming he's checking to see if everything's functioning, which I'm not sure you can actually do in the sort of appointment that he's at. But that's okay. That's, right. not, that's secondary to the plot. But yeah. I didn't think that. Uh, that makes more sense. I don't know. It was just, I mean, I have no idea. It just seemed more entertaining, at least to me, to think that that was the reason. But because, you know, she sends him to the doctor and he doesn't go. And then she like circles around. Like she calls him up and is like, you haven't gone to the doctor yet. And like really encourages him to go. So he does finally go. And then after that is when she jumps him. So you're just like, um, okay. And she doesn't tell him, which I found really interesting and kind of violating. That she doesn't tell him that she's intending to have a kid. And, um, and he's kind of freaks out. Uh, and she's like, no, 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 I intentionally want to pick somebody who would have no interest in raising the child and who I'd never run into socially. Like, it's really insulting. <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay. As, like, <laughs> as she's doing this yoga pose, she's like explaining this with a perfectly factual tone of voice of how she doesn't want to see him again. She's going to have his kid. It's, it's a strange, strange scene. But. I just, I loved everything about her character. I mean, from her very severe haircut to the tone of voice to, I mean, just everything was so sterile with her. And the contrast with her father, who is just this blowhard, belligerent oh my gosh, guy who's super annoying. Yeah, you have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and you know, yeah, I work lost really hard. Use of my legs in the Korean War. Blah blah blah. <laughs> Deadbeat. I also just want to point out the amazing cast of characters. I mean, because this is a really young Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yes. You know, just amazing. And Julianne Moore is amazing. And these are more secondary characters, you know. And Steve Buscemi as Donnie, given how much screen time he has, he's amazing. And I'm always marvel anytime I see Steve Buscemi in something because he he is hilarious and perfect, whatever it is. It's like one of the ugliest men in America. <laughs> and he's just so fantastic. And you love him. Like, you find him endearing, even though, you know, whatever. He's just, he always plays a screwball. He always is kind of like off-putting. And you just, you love him. Yeah, and in this movie, he just, he kind of drifts along too, like the dude, but it's because he's not paying attention and mm-hmm. he doesn't actually understand what's going on. So yeah. Walter's mm-hmm. right when he insults him. Yeah, you you're know. out of your element. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, I have a clip of the dude and Walter and Donnie uh, interacting, and I think it shows a good contrast between the characters. Were you listening to the dude's story, Donnie? Walter. Were you listening to the dude's story? I was bowling. So you have no frame of reference here, Donnie. You're like a child who wanders into Walter, the middle of a movie and what, wants to know. Walter, what's the point, man? There's no reason. Here's my point, dude. There's no fucking reason why these. Yeah, two- Walter, what's your point? Huh? Walter, what is the point? Look, we all know who is at fault here. What the fuck are you talking about? Huh? No, what the fuck are you? I'm not. We're talking about unchecked aggression here. What the dude. fuck is he talking my about? My rug. Forget Look, it, Donnie. You're out of your element. But that's that's his purpose. This is kind of like, what's going on? Okay, I'm going to say something, even though I don't know what's going well, on. Well, it's one of my favorite parts is when when he says something about John Lennon. He's like, I am the walrus. He just like throws it in. It's almost like Tourette's. <laughs> like in the background, he's like, I, I am the walrus. <laughs> like, he couldn't help himself. 
But I did really like how many little kind of throwaway one-liners that I don't know that I noticed the first time around come from the dude. The dude actually says some pretty funny crap. I mean, throughout the whole thing. Like, in the very beginning when he does get attacked, right? Like, these two guys come in and they grab him and they immediately, like, shove his head in the toilet. And they pull him out and they're like, where's the money, Lewowski? And he's like... I'm Let pretty sure it's down there. Let me take another look. <laughs> like, he shoves it in there again. And then he's like, dude, like, you know, he pulls his glasses out of the toilet, and, like sunglasses, and like puts them back on. And then he's like, what's this? And he's holding his bowling ball. And he's like, clearly you're not, you're not a, a golfer. golfer. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's several times that he has lines like that that are, they're not necessary. They're just kind of like tangential or whatever to the story, but they're really pretty funny. Yeah. And he gets away with it, too. Yeah. Like, you would think that people would get particularly angry with him making these jokes, and occasionally they do. I really like Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. He's such an ass kisser. And he's just, like, he's so good at just playing, like, a pompous little white boy. You know, well, especially, just... like, t- when Tara Reed is involved. So at the end, turns out she never was kidnapped. She went to Palm Springs, didn't tell anyone. So you see her car crashed, and she's running around naked. And <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman is trying to pick up her clothes. Like, and then earlier, when we first meet her, she's painting her toenails green. And she says, blow on them to... The dude, like, you could tell how, like, uncomfortable this sycophant is. And then mm-hmm. she knows it. She's like, I'll suck your cock for $1,000. <laughs> he can't watch her. He has to pay 100 <laughs> and, th- and then the dude does his one-liner. He's like, I got to go find a cash machine. <laughs> and just, like, walks off. <laughs> great but yeah philip seymour hoffman's face and like you know when the dude is like in the limo trying to give them you know the lowdown he's like man new shit's come to light i mean given this new information you know you got to consider like did this ever occur to you that she kidnapped herself whatever and i love philip seymour hoffman's face he goes that did not occur to us dude like (laughs) (laughs) like he's just he's such a great bizarre Addition. He's such an amazing actor, and I think this was pretty early on in his career where you didn't really know, you know, what he was capable of yet, but... Uh, my particular favorite scene with him was when he was when the dude was looking through all the pictures on the mm-hmm, wall, mm-hmm. and he's following along trying to explain each picture, and the dude just Keeps sees the picture and is like, is that Nancy Reagan? Oh, great. And then moves on to the next <laughs> rank, and Philip Seymour Hoffman keeps explaining what the thing is, and the dude just doesn't care. <laughs> He's like, well, actually, he also met the president, but there wasn't time for a photo op. Well, Nancy's pretty good. It's like what the dude <laughs> says or something like that. It's sorry. He's like, keeps telling him to stop, stop touching that. <laughs> so the whole movie itself seems like it's structured very similarly to a lot of a lot of other movies that are based in California, like mystery sort of movies that mm-hmm. have come up in the 70s or 60s. Like, if you've ever seen Chinatown, it's kind of a lot like that, in that it has a very long, convoluted story that's very hard to follow. Mm-hmm. I think the main difference here is that the dude doesn't really care yeah. too much about <laughs> what's going on. can't take it on. too seriously. Yeah. No. He doesn't have to dig into the investigation. It just kind of finds him. He just kind of drifts through everything. Well, I mean, it just keeps showing up at his apartment, quite frankly. Right. Like, he just can't even get away from it. But the structure is very similar, like having these different upper class people in California or really uh, avant-garde artists. And here's this uh, porn producer and here's this millionaire. And, you know, there's all this intrigue going on with a a kidnapping plot and you don't know Mm -hmm. who's playing between two. And it goes back to what you were saying, Jess, about that private eye who pulls him aside and is like, oh, I can't believe 
I admire you for how you're playing all these people against each other. And he just doesn't have any concept that it was, you know, there's anything like that going on. No, actually, one of the best part of that is he tells him to stay away from his lady friend. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, I'll stay away from your special lady. He's like, she's not my special lady. She's just my lady friend. And I like that there was a difference between those. That that was like that it was repeated several times. (laughs) Exactly. That it was critically important to him that she was his lady friend, but not his special lady. So you're mentioning it was set in the early 90s, but there's a lot of different time frames mm-hmm. that this movie feels like. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different parts that look like the 70s, like maybe Jackie Treehorn's... Um, kind of like Playboy mansion Playboy feel. Mansion-esque mm-hmm. place that he's yeah, at. Yeah, the, or... the miscellaneous girl on the trampoline for no reason. I think other than the Coen brothers probably just want to shoot a girl on a trampoline. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that was it. I Honestly, I just feel like, hey, you know what this movie needs? You know what every <laughs> movie needs? Plot. Is a woman topless That's right. on a trampoline. Yeah. Fargo just did really well, so we can do whatever we want <laughs> yeah. in this movie. What do you want to put in? <laughs> well, first and foremost. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of 50s stuff like mm-hmm. in the bowling alley with all the it's very With all retro like the yeah, yeah neon sort of star retro feel mm-hmm. to it and very the much bowling so. alley shoes kind of 50s 60s yeah definitely a good feel we haven't me- yet mentioned the Jesus <laughs> oh yeah um, I can't think of the actor's name what's his name John Turturro but I mean the jumpsuits that man is in two times one purple which I have to say the purple's my favorite me too. Yes, uh, and then definitely. later on in a blue, but the purple is absolutely my favorite with the gross, like very thin nylony socks that you see him pull up, and the hairnet, and it's the, the long look. cocaine ring, uh, pinky fingernail. It's 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 the whole package, and then it culminates in the disgusting pointy tongue flicking against the bowling ball. <laughs> it's just the most amazing thing ever. It must have been so much fun to play. It must have just been a blast. To come up with each of these elements. And I, I'd like to think that it kind of was like a team effort. That maybe the Coen brothers didn't envision They're it like, all at the same time. This isn't gross enough. Exactly. <laughs> what <laughs> else can we add? And this, and this is what they came up with. And the song that's playing in the background is sort of a Spanish mm-hmm. like flamenco version of Hotel California. Oh, yeah. I loved that. I, that was amazing. It, the first time I saw this movie, I was listening to that song. And it's just the intro with like the classical guitar in the background and it's in Spanish and I'm like what is this song like I can't figure out what the song is it sounds so familiar and then right when he does the, you know the, the little, little dance, dance after the strike it like goes into the main theme of Hotel California I'm like yes <laughs> <laughs> I know where I've heard this before I like that he's like one of the most like intimidating of the characters like one of the only people who really doesn't back down from Walter at all. But like he's all up in Walter's face and telling him he's going to take him or whatever. And I love how Walter just sits there and stares at him, just completely unaffected. And the second he walks away, he's like, dude, he's totally a pedophile. He exposed himself to a nine-year-old or something like and that. And then we do this weird flashback. <laughs> and you're just, you're just uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. You're uncomfortable the whole time. I think they're actually talking about making a movie specifically with him as the main character. Oh, really? The right. Jesus? Yeah, I think the Coen brothers are actually Oh my doing gosh, that. he's such a fun character. <laughs> I'll have to put a link to that in our show notes or something. He's just, he's ridiculously confident and there's so much swagger. I don't know. I just... And he's in the movie for two minutes? Maybe yeah. total. Collectively. Yeah. yeah. So... He's a great character. I think that's what one of the things that the Coen brothers are, I don't know, maybe at least known for is that their characters are memorable. That's true. They're sure. seriously flawed. <laughs> There's always surprises. It's usually gross, but they're very memorable. So 
I mean, obviously we couldn't go into every single detail about the plot. It unfolds and nothing's really phased the dude until the end. Yeah. When they're fighting against the Nihilus in the parking lot and the car's on fire. It's just kind of a big set piece to kind of end off the action of the movie. And and it's one of the few times I actually think Walter is right. So (laughs) the Nihilus show up and they're like, I don't think you understand. Like, we're going to hurt you because, you know, you you need to give us the money or we're going to hurt the girl. And at this point, they know... They don't have Bunny at all. Exactly. They never did. And so Walter's response is to like throw a bowling ball into their stomach. (laughs) Into this guy's abdomen. Just like hardcore. But I mean, I'm going to argue with you a little bit. Walter is actually right quite a lot of the time. Not for the right reasons, but remember when they got the toe and he's like, that's not her toe. That's somebody yeah, else's right. toe. It's, I can get you a like, toe. Yeah, I can get you a toe by three o'clock this right. afternoon, oh. these fucking amateurs. And you're like, well, maybe we're just, may- I mean, maybe we should think about this, Walter. Right. Until the end, you don't know he's right, yeah. but he was. Or about the ringer, he's like, let's just throw out a ringer. And it's like, well, yeah, I guess in that case, you know, it wasn't really any money whatsoever. No, I mean, you're you're right. You're right. I hadn't thought of that. He is right way more of the time than but you think he is. But for the wrong reasons. Yeah, like, I think he, he just, <laughs> he wants something to be true. So he took like the suggestion of the dude that Bunny, quote, kidnapped herself. And he just ran with it because he wanted it to be true. And he, <laughs> he wanted to take the million dollars, mm-hmm. which he was sure was there. I felt like he's just convincing himself over and over. And then mm-hmm. the dude is in distress. Like he's sure they're going to kill her. And because the the switch went bad and he crashed into a tree because the Uzi went off and shot the car. (laughs) It's an odd scene. They're going to kill that poor woman. (laughs) Like he keeps saying that again and again. And then then, like her life was in our hands because they had said that line Mm -hmm. over and over. And Walter's response is, fuck it, let's go bowling. And then they go bowling. (laughs) And they go bowling. And he does that multiple times. I love that. Just like, fuck it, let's go bowling. Mm -hmm. Again and again. Yeah, it's really funny. Yeah, I I think as long as we're talking about it, I think repeated lines in this movie is a big theme. Like you were telling me that earlier, oh, yeah. Charlie. Yeah, I think a lot of the humor of the movie and one of the reasons it's become so popular as a cult film is because you have those lines. Mm-hmm. And it's not that the line happens once; it's that the line happens again and again, three or four times over the course of the movie. Like you know, fuck it, dude, let's go bowling. <laughs> that happens at least a couple of times. Or you're out of your element, Donnie. You're out of your element, Donnie. Or this aggression will not stand. <laughs> Uh, I think uh, I don't roll on Shabbos. It's um, <laughs> <laughs> another, just another big one. Um, yeah, the dude abides. I don't know. It's just the theory I read about years ago about this movie was that a lot of the things that the dude says mm-hmm. are things that people have said to him previously in the film. Oh, so he doesn't say a lot of things that are unique or that he's come up with. He just uses other people's words and. I actually listened to it this time. I'm not sure I completely buy that. There's a lot of like quips and stuff that he says that are clearly just him. But there are a lot of times where he's just like, you know, this aggression will not stand or uh, in the parlance of our times. You're right. He does repeat that because Mon says that. At the very end, I thought the greatest one was, you know, sometimes you eat the bar and sometimes Sometimes the the bar bar eats eats you. you. And he says it at the end. Not only can he not finish the quote because he doesn't remember the end of it. But he says bar, which is clearly supposed to. So Sam Elliott's character, who who's is the narrator. He's a narrator and uh, enlisted in the cast credits, whatever, as the stranger, which I really <laughs> which enjoyed. I like. Yeah. Yeah. He had originally said the quote and mm-hmm. he's got this sort of thick cowboy accent. So bar is supposed to be bear, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes the bear eats you. And when the dude says the quote over again, 
I don't think he's trying to put on an accent. I think he doesn't understand yeah. what it was that was said to him originally and just repeats it. Yeah, I completely agree. So I don't know. That was kind of one of my favorite scenes. No, I, I <laughs> After I I'd watched agree. this a he's, couple of times. He, he definitely gets swayed by those around him. You know, Walter's a major influence. So I actually went through this time and caught a lot of the repeat lines. And a lot of them are from characters who never talk to each other. So it's not that just that the dude is picking up all of these things and saying them over again. It's that separate characters who have never met each other are also saying the exact same things. Mm-hmm. Like the word Johnson comes up so many yeah, it's, times. Oh my gosh, like, and it's so funny. Where does that come from? Nobody uses that word. Nobody uses it. But I liked it in just juxtaposition to her like saying vagina. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's like this is important that we say this and you need to be okay with it. And, like this like kind of gritty in your face, I don't know, feminist stand that she's taking <laughs> and and contrasting it with, you know, what is what I don't remember other things she says, like your rod or your Johnson. Or your and then she pauses yeah. Johnson. And it's so <laughs> So like like who says that? And then later they they like they say they're gonna cut off his Johnson. Uh, yeah, they're threatening yeah. him. And, mm-hmm. But yeah, I really liked Maud's um, severe. I like that word for it, severe feminism. And yet for some reason she really hates bunny. Like she has this idea of like here's a, a female sex worker, and she she can't understand that role for a woman with sex. And I, and I was sort of like that doesn't really jive work for your character like she talks about very clinically very sterily the the idea of of somebody who's a nymphomaniac somebody who is just obsessed with sex but doesn't take joy in it and says that her stepmother that bunny is one of these people but she talks about it super negatively. Well, and then, and she just calls her the slut over and over again. So my idea was like, okay, she has this academic idea of what she, th- like the idea of what she wants the world to be like in her feminist view. But when it comes to her actual dad, who married her actual mom, who she gave this rug to and clearly has some sort of you know attachment to mm-hmm. that she cannot stand this idea of her of Bunny as her stepmom. And so. Yeah. I thought I thought it was actually kind of kind of funny for her character. This person who comes humanizes her. Yeah, humanizes her. That makes me think a lot too about. I mean, going back to Walter, where he's got this very definite worldview that doesn't really always work in every situation that he's in. Or I think every character or every group of characters has some sort of very specific worldview. Like here are the nihilists. Here's Walter, and Mm -hmm. like he's very self righteous, and here's Maud, and like she's very feminist, right? But like there's cracks and in all of these philosophies, really. Yeah, it's interesting to see how they all play against each other. It's a very rich cast of characters, and to put them all together, like this is something that I just kind of think from like sitting around coming up with the idea for this film. I don't know how you put all these people in the same movie, but it's great. Like it's it ends up being awesome, and I and I really love in particular the three guys, kind of the three the the gang of the dude and Walter and Donnie, and that you have this this pacifist who's intentionally a pacifist as you know the dude, and then you have the aggressor as Walter who's very intentionally this character, and then Donnie's just kind of the tag along dork, you know, who just is kind of rounds out the team, and he never knows what's going on, but he's sweet, you know what I'm saying? Like he he wants to kind of like just be liked and be in the conversation and so yeah no i just like that that kind of actually draw as a driving force at least in their relationship because what obviously happens knowing this is that donnie ends up dying and i'd actually forgotten it'd been i don't know a few years since i've seen this again even though i've seen it several times i forget that he doesn't die like from violence you know whatever that i actually really 
I I thought it was really funny to be honest. That you have this incredibly violent scene, cars burning in the background. You got a guy's ear bitten off, You've and got like a sword. Yeah, there's like this massive fight, and then Donnie has a heart attack, and they run into the bowling alley, and then the very next scene, they're at this funeral parlor, and I was like, oh, this shit got dark. Like, yeah. And it does take a turn. Like, it takes a definite I mean, turn. Luckily, it's at the end of the movie. I mean, some of the other movies we've been watching for the mm-hmm. show so far, it happens well before the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, it, you know, we had, I think, The Apartment, mm-hmm. I think, and then also um, Dead Poet Society, where there was a good 30, 40 minutes left in the movie, and suddenly it takes this hard turn and it's yeah. suddenly really serious but at least this one is right it near the end played pretty comedically until you get about you only get about five minutes yeah where it's well, really it's really sad pretty funny afterwards though. i actually yeah. thought it was it could be because at that point we're, we're nearing the end of the movie right mm-hmm. so it had a number of white russians but it was just like wow i wasn't expecting that they they went a very different and i, <laughs> I like laughed when there yeah. was in the funeral parlor yeah it's like oh shit well they love went there. <laughs> it clicks to the funeral parlor and they're sitting there and walter's just like reading the bible like he's just sitting there with this like <laughs> mammoth copy too like it's not like a standard copy like it's just huge like pulpit sized copy of the bible and he's just holding it in one hand and kind of kicked back in his chair just reading it waiting for the guy to come over and then loses it like in the silence in that cold quiet kind of stoic silence of funeral parlors loses it over the 180 dollars for their most modest vessel (laughs) so so donnie dies and then they have him cremated and then when they're going to pick up his ashes they're going to charge them for this urn and the funeral parlor director is like this is our most modestly priced receptacle and then they're like (laughs) we need to go to a grocery store and they walk out with the ashes in a Folgers can and it's amazing (laughs) again again that's walter and that's like his worldview is that how I shouldn't be taken advantage of mm-hmm. when my friend died and I refuse. You know, they could afford. I'm sh- sure they could have scraped together $180, but he's like, this is, this is wrong that I'm being charged for this. Mm-hmm. Therefore, this is what we're doing. Absolutely. It's one of my favorite scenes, actually, mm-hmm. the, the funeral scene, because it's sad and hilarious and then also kind of like moves the story along. I don't right. know. It's like one of those things where Walter starts off saying really nice things about Donnie. And you also get the distinct impression of how little they really knew Donnie. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like because the things he's saying are pretty generic. Right. And he mentions surfing and like how much like Donnie loves the Pacific Ocean and like repeatedly like stuff about the ocean. And you're like, you never heard anything like that from Donnie. And from looking at him. You don't get the impression he's much of a surfer. So you're like, hmm, I wonder how much of this is true. Right. How much they actually know about him. And then it takes a really quick turn. And to Vietnam. About Vietnam. Yeah. Why does everything have to be about Vietnam? <laughs> and the dude is just in the background just kind of shaking his head. And it's like, like you said, you know, the dude doesn't tend to get too riled up or too whatever. But this is this too scene. far. Yeah. Right. Well, so another thing is, so Walter does the eulogy, which starts off trying to be really hard heartfelt and talks about fairly superficial characteristics of he's he likes bowling he's really good at but bo- he likes bowling he's and a good surfing. bowler <laughs> and then we go to vietnam and then he shakes out the ashes which get blown straight into the face of the dude and then the dude loses it <laughs> i actually have that clip yes oh, that very specifically hmm. oh shit dude i'm sorry goddamn wind oh, god damn it walter you fucking asshole 
dude. I'm sorry. It's a fucking travesty with you, man. I'm sorry. It was an accident. What was that shit about Vietnam? Dude, I'm sorry. What the fuck does anything have to do with Vietnam? Dude, I'm what sorry. What the fuck are you talking about? Dude, I'm sorry. And this is, like, of all the times, like, throughout the film that Walter's, like, so certain and so aggressive and so in the face. And there have been times he's pretty wrong. And this is, like, one of the only times he actually apologizes. And he's right. kind of, like, holds the dude, which is pretty sweet. It's, yeah, it's kind of a switch in characters at that point where Walter oh, yeah. is very apologetic. He's like, I understand this is a time where we need to take it down a notch. And then the dude is actually really upset and frustrated and hits him. Mm-hmm. I think it's the only time in the movie. I mean, he shoves him, right? He doesn't really hit him, but I think mm-hmm. it's the only time that he lays his hands on anyone in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. He's a pacifist, right? Mm-hmm. So this is really the sort of thing that actually pushes them a little bit to to think about, you know, their philosophies. And maybe I need to act a little bit differently in this particular situation. Yeah. No, it's the only time he's really upset, which it also kind of gives like credit to to Donnie's character that like he kind of seems like he's just kind of like hanging along for comedic effect for comedic effect but you know that they clearly cared about him they liked him i mean if nothing else he was a nice little like i don't know kind of whipping boy for 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 walter you're already all meant donnie you're like a kid who comes in the middle of the conversation but they they roll together right yeah i mean that's the thing is they all love bullying that much that that's Mm -hmm. enough for them to be comrades together right Mm -hmm. so that clip was only about 30 seconds but i think it's the only part of the movie that's actually really sad mm-hmm. like it's completely different tonally just that section but then immediately it's like fuck it dude let's go bowling mm-hmm. he says it again he right does. after that and it's like we've got to move on <laughs> donnie's dead but we should still bowl we should bowl that's what do you want we should we should roll but i don't roll on shabbos <laughs> yeah no i love it and that and then right after that is the scene you talk about where he repeats the line back to the narrator right back to sam elliott who i have to give a shout out Again, Sam Elliott and his amazing voice and mustache. Oh, yeah. yeah. That is pretty insane. Agreed, yeah. We talked about different, like, film eras, like film noir and mm-hmm. crime draw, and, and this is like, we're just going to insert a Western here because right. we can. Because it's Sam Elliott, and yeah, uh, he's just amazing. In the IMDb trivia, it said that Sam Elliott asked, why am I in this movie? Do I really fit there? And the coach was like, yeah. <laughs> just be a cowboy or whatever right yeah no but i mean you think i mean at least for me so i i will openly admit that i've not seen a ton of films that sam mm-hmm. elliott's been in but mask uh you know share mm-hmm. and sam elliott whatever yeah. and he has like the stash and he has like the ridiculously like amazing sideways smirk and with the voice or whatever it's just it's iconic like you know him as that i've seen him once or twice without the mustache and you're like I, I, I don't know you yeah like this is not this is not right. It's like Alex Trebek, right? Yes. When you, you see him without the mustache, wrong. you're like, no, can't possibly. <laughs> you get used to it. But yes. there was a whole article in the New York Times maybe four or five years ago where there was some movie that he was in where he was the one of the main characters and he shaved his mustache for it and how mm-hmm. disconcerting that was to a lot it's of people. Just- wrong it's just wrong yeah no he's he needs the mustache and i like his his character is kind of comical you know it's like you said western for no reason and there's like a you know opens with a tumbleweed and it ends with this and he talks about like la and how he's not been other places and he makes a comment to the dude about he wish he you know he really like your style dude you could yes less but could you curse less exactly the dude's response is like what what the fuck (laughs) exactly Exactly. It's fantastic. Uh, so, yeah, that pretty much caps the end of the movie. Uh, 
I mean, there's a lot more that we could talk about, a lot more funny stuff that happens over the course of the whole thing. But I guess we wanted to stop and ask uh, Jess, what do you feel like you gained from this? What did you think about the movie now that you've seen it? What did it live up to all the hype? Yes, I'm going to say unequivocally, yes, I had a great time. I thought it was really fun. I know that you guys do like this is what you do. You analyze movies. You're you can be pretty academic about it because you've done this quite a bit. But I was mostly watching it just to have fun. And I was drinking white Russians. So (laughs) that's one thing. And I did. I took notes after the fact. But um, during the actual movie, I I meant I had my notepad out and I meant to take notes. I only wrote down one thing, which was. I don't like your jerk off face. I don't like your jerk off behavior. And I don't like you jerk off. And then I was like, I looked at my notes after I was like, I, I fucked this one up. Like, no. they're never going to let no, me on no, no, podcast. No, not at all, because this is the only time I've watched this movie critically. Every other time I've watched it, which is like, I think this is funny and, and I want to watch so it. it so much fun. Yeah, so- it's just fun from start to end. And if you if you don't look at it with a critical eye, it's totally fine like it's a yeah. fantastic movie like regardless of how you look at it and it's just pretty much for this podcast that the reason i looked at it any other way yeah which is what you know again what i love about this podcast i'm actually starting to look at some of these movies that i've watched the same way five or six times and mm-hmm. looking at it slightly differently yeah no making notes it just totally changed it for me but it's just so quotable yeah this movie so, is so quotable that was the next thing i wanted to say so like i really had a great time so i wanted to you know say I hope I earned some of your respect and it was pretty fun to do it. But the other thing was, I was like, oh, here are these things that I've been hearing for the last 10 years that I didn't know what they meant. Now I know. So there you go. You've (laughs) educated me. I did think you guys were going to make more fun of me for not watching this movie because everyone, whenever I mention, oh, I haven't seen The Big Lebowski, but I don't want to watch it today because I don't have white Russian ingredients. (laughs) They're always like, you haven't seen The Big Lebowski? (laughs) You would love it. So if there was one pop culture reference that you got from this movie, like what's your favorite? What's the thing you picked up on? You're like, that's it. That's the thing I should have known from this. I I think it's all the quotes. I I don't even think that's a a question. There's no particular quote. Oh, a particular quote. I mean, there there are a lot. There's Uh, so many. Oh, there's so many. Yeah. But I I think at the end of the day, the one big quote is the dude abides because it kind of encompasses the movie. And I've heard it so many times. Right. Now Mm -hmm. I know what it's from. I, I, with that, I just want to point out once, I was in Scotland a few years ago, and I was in Glasgow, and there was a bar called The Big Lebowski, or is it just The Lebowski? I'm one of those two. But the point is, I saw this bar, and I stopped, and it says, not a man, a way of life, like, beneath the name. And I was like, <laughs> a good oh my gosh, I'm in love with this bar. Like, it's just the coolest place I've seen. And it was early enough in the day that it wasn't open, otherwise I would have gone uh, I was in. just going to ask if you stopped for a drink. I wanted to go in and get a white Russian, quite of frankly. Course. But it was it was in the morning, and so it wasn't open yet. It, and, and what I, I remember thinking is, oh, the dude abides in Scotland. <laughs> 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 because he does. He abides. Um, Jessica, what would you say? Oh, What's gosh. your favorite part about this movie that everyone should experience? I mean, the the line is so infinitely quotable. I, I have a really hard time just picking one. Uh, it's a briefcase. It has my uh, my my papers, my important business business papers. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> I'm unemployed. I'm unemployed. <laughs> so what my about you, fav- Charlie. So my favorite thing, I guess, not necessarily the most quotable part of the mo the movie, but the thing that stuck with me most is when. The dude is drugged and he's about to go into his dream sequence and the narrator comes over and says, 
darkness washed over the dude. Because <laughs> you just say washed I, with an I, I, That's constantly in my head, like, all the time, like, right before I go to sleep. <laughs> so, Jess, thank you so much for coming on. You've gained our respect yes, by watching this movie. Thank you so much for doing that. Now you get to throw your taste out in the world and tell everyone else what they're supposed to watch. So do you have any recommendations for our listening audience? Things yes. that they need to see right now. So that list is phenomenal. Uh, there are a lot of movies on that list that I wanted to watch, but couldn't because of the rules. And I'm glad I watched this particular movie. But I was disappointed when I went to these movies that were just great movies. And I was like, oh, I'll have to watch those again. So anyway, um, I know that uh, there are a handful of folks on that might be listening to this podcast who may have watched... At the time, it was four diehards with me in one day. We were at the MSC, and it was summertime, and the air conditioning stopped, and it started blowing warm air into the building. Oh, no. <laughs> and so we all went home, and it was right before the fourth diehard came out, which wasn't very good. But we were going to watch it in a theater, so we decided we should probably watch Die Hard. And then... That was fun. And so we decided we should watch Die Hard 3 because Die Hard 3 is the second best Die Hard. <laughs> and then we we're like, well, we've watched the first, we watched two of the three. So then we rounded it out, watched the second one, and then we went to theater and watched uh, the fourth. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. So that was, yeah. we watched a lot of Die Hard. And Die Hard 1 is my favorite Christmas movie. They both take place. In Absolutely. It's the best Christmas movie. And we oh, totally had to it. share yeah. it. Yeah. That's right. At the Christmas tree party. So uh, Jessica Claire's has <laughs> a phenomenal Christmas party complete with arts and crafts and delicious food and drink. <laughs> and we watched Die Hard. And so anyway, that would be my suggestion because it's just period. I think my favorite movie on that list that Die Hard should make it into one of these episodes. You have found kind of a chink in our armor there. We should have put that in the list, I think, right? Is I it think- not? No, it's on the list. It's on the list. Oh, it is. Oh, oh, okay. Charlie cool. Wallace. <sighs> You're I almost fine. had a heart attack there. No, it's it's like, how could we have not there. put that on the list? We're not, we're, we're, we'll put you in a real urn. We won't put you in a Folgers can if you have a heart attack, <laughs> just so you know. So, Jessica, what's your recommendation for this week? Um, I guess this is kind of, you know, tangential or whatever, but thinking, you know, this takes place in L.A. Um, and being kind of mystery-like, I guess I'd, uh, I'd recommend L.A. Confidential. It was a good film. I really liked it. Oh, it's great. Yeah, I love L.A. Confidential. I haven't seen it in quite a few years. I'm going to need to rewatch it. You know, potential future guest Sam Hansen gave me that book for some reason. Oh, like, really? I've already seen the movie like a million times. Like, mm-hmm. I got this extra novel, the L.A. Confidential. Do you want it? I'm like, how did you have that exact novel and decided to give it to me now? Like, I need to sit down and read it. I hmm. love that movie so much. It's really good. I mean, just great cast. Not just as an aside, mm-hmm. my favorite part of that movie is just the names. Like mm-hmm. somebody thought really hard about what the names in that movie were going to be. Yeah. Like Ed Exley and was it Veronica Lake, yep. I think. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it's this yeah. very specific and mm-hmm. very specific enunciation that is fun to say. Mm-hmm. But me as well, I was going to give recommendations about uh, similar sorts of L.A. or California noir type movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Chinatown I already talked about. Inherent Vice. Inherent Vice is interesting to see one time, I would say that. <laughs> It was you would have to watch way. it multiple Very times. Very confusing and also stars a protagonist who is high all of the time. Oh, all right. <laughs> it's more recent one, but it's also I think a little bit more true to the sort of mystery like genre. Yeah, mystery genre. Mm-hmm. Um and then The Long Goodbye was another one that I saw which is 70s which is 
Philip Marlowe is this uh, Raymond Chandler character that shows up in a lot of different mm-hmm. movies. And that one was, I was really surprised by that one too. So I'd check that one out. Yeah. And then if you watch those movies and then watch this, you'll kind of understand like, oh, that's kind of what this movie is trying to do. Oh. But like, in a I haven't very seen any of way. those. So yeah. I, I had not until recently. LA Confidential? No, I've seen LA oh, Confidential. Okay, I meant any of Charlie's list. Good, yes, I have good. seen that. Yeah, they're a very specific genre of movies. And like, once you've seen those, you're like, oh. I see you what get this it. Is. This is kind of trying to What's do. What's the name of the writer who wrote L.A. Confidential? Uh, I read I one can, of his other novels. I can tell Black. you when we go downstairs and look at the bookcase, but I don't remember off the top of my head. I, I think it's the same author who wrote The Black Dahlia. And it's just yeah, like, I bet it is. It's I a very it specific feel when you read yes, that book. Yes. So I did read that and, and loved it. I read it in like two days. But in um, as a side note, since we're talking about tie-ins to this movie... Die Hard does take place in L.A., the first one. Just, <laughs> I just want to point that out. Well, thank you so much, Jess, for coming on the show. We appreciate yeah. you uh, taking the time out and improving yourself by watching. Yeah. Well, plus, it was just a great time. I mean, it was a great reason to rewatch the film. And I want to point out that uh, Consuming the White Russians during this recording, I have a decent buzz going right now. So yeah. Yes. Thank you, Jess. We all going, had a good guys. time. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me on. This was a lot of fun. And I'm really, it, this encouraged me to watch a movie that had been on my list forever. So I'm really glad that we did this. this That's exactly fun. the point. That's, I love it. Couldn't ask for anything more. Perfect guest. Yes. We've peaked. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that wraps it up. Thanks so much for joining us. We had a great time. And be sure to catch the next episode where we're uh, going to discuss another pop culture gem. Hope you really enjoyed it. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Instagram to hear us discuss more movies and television shows that you really should have already been watching. Next episode, the 1988 John Carpenter film, They Live. stand this will not stand this aggression against uh, kuwait we're talking about unchecked aggression here uh the dude minds this will not stand you know this aggression will not stand man see what happens lebowski you see what happens you see what happens larry you see what happens larry do you see what happens larry when you fuck a stranger in the ass yeah, man, it really tied the room together. So this was a value, dog. Yeah. It tied the room together, dude? Really? Tied the room together. Her life is in your oh, hands. Shit. Her life is in your hands, dude. Her life was in our hands, man. Easy, dude. Her life was in your hands. Where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the money, Lebowski? <laughs> Where is that money, Lebowski? We want the money, Lebowski. Where's the fucking money, Lebowski? We want some money, Lebowski. Whereas without batting an eye, a man will refer to his dick or his rod or his Johnson. Johnson? And tomorrow we come back and we cut off your Johnson. <laughs> Excuse me? I said we cut off your Johnson! Fuck sympathy. I don't need your fucking sympathy, man. I need my fucking Johnson. What do you need that for? To use the parlance of our time. You know, a young trophy wife in the parlance of our times, you know. I gotcha. I will not abide another toe. Yeah, well, the dude abides. Sometimes you eat the bar and much abide. Sometimes the bar will eat you.
That's some kind of Eastern thing. Oh yeah, well, you know, sometimes you eat the bar and sometimes, uh, you know. Hey, man. Ah, yeah, fuck it, dude. Let's go bowling. Come on, dude. Hey, fuck it, man. Let's go bowling.